Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. How's everyone doing? Good, good, good. Merry Christmas. It's cold outside. Like super cold, like too cold. Like uh, not Pennsylvania cold, right? Like Alaska cold. In fact, uh, I watched a movie this week. I don't know if it's my fault. Um, I'm going to make a confession to you uh, before I start. But I watched a movie called The Day After Tomorrow on on Amazon Prime. One of the reasons I'm even watching movies on Amazon Prime is my Netflix uh, account got frozen because my credit card got stolen. So then I had to get a new credit card. So my Netflix, I went to watch Netflix and I couldn't watch it. So I had to watch Amazon Prime. And I watched Day After Tomorrow, and the, the whole point of Day After Tomorrow is the whole world freezes. So I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. And so, uh, but I'm, I'm really glad that you're with us. Uh, I, I, how many of y'all enjoyed the kids singing? Wasn't that awesome? Like the kids singing? What, a, what an incredible thing. I, uh, uh, on Wednesday, I think it was Wednesday, I was here for practice. Maybe it was last, actually last Friday, the first, first time I came for practice. I was here, and another little girl was walking down the, 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 the hallway that was getting ready to sing. And uh, she saw me, and I said, hey, how you doing? And she said, I'm doing good. We, we exchanged pleasantries, names, whatever. She said, this is my church. And I said, this is my church, too. And she said, I'm here to sing. And I said, awesome. She said, I'm going in there to sing for Jesus. And I was like, oh, yeah. And I was like, hey, give me a high five, right? And so I just love the heart of, of a kid. I love the simplicity of that understanding that tonight is all about Jesus. It's all about celebrating what I think is the greatest message that this world has ever had, uh, that God sent his son uh, to this earth for us. But here's the problem with, with Christmas is it's often really complex, and we make it like that. We, we overcomplicate the season. We overwhelm ourselves with expectations, our agendas. I don't know if anybody else is out, is like Christmas out already. Anybody else? Like, I went to Giant today. We need, we need a minute rice. And so I don't think you should go anywhere near any store on Christmas Eve Eve. It's just not smart. Christmas Eve is no-go, right? And so like, I went there and it just felt like everybody was just there. Like I, this, this lady was telling us, I have to make quiches unexpectedly. And I'm like, like, like it's in the Christmas story. Like you got to make quiches on Christmas. And it was just this, it was just this, uh, uh, just overwhelming feeling for people. And so, and I feel like that too, but I, I feel like the message of Christmas is really simple. And uh, I, wanna, I want to share that with you tonight. And he, here's, here's kind of my key, my key thought for the, whole, for the whole night and why we built the whole night around this theme of the table is uh, God uh, wants you in his family. I, want you to, I, want, I don't care who you are. I want you to, I want you to if you take away anything else, I want you to remember this thought. God, the one that created everything, um, the one that's holy, righteous, uh, fully love, but fully truth, he he wants you to be a part of his his family. Some of you have no family. Some of your families are broken. Some of you don't even understand what it means to be a a family. Quite honestly, when you think about a table, it's hard for you to even comprehend that. Even in our culture, just as a whole, do you know the average family uh, dinner used to be 90 minutes? Could you imagine doing anything with your family for 90 minutes? 
90 minutes. No phones, no, no TV, right? There wasn't flat screens laying around. Nobody was lugging the tube TV onto the countertop, right? And so unless you were rich, you had one of those little ones mounted up underneath your thing. You know, you had like friends like that, but most of us didn't, didn't have that. And so the 90 minutes, the average meal time today is 12 to 17 minutes. We don't even sit most of the time in my house. We eat around an island and I stand and yell at the kids while I'm eating, right? <laughs> So it's hard for us to even comprehend and understand the whole significance of, uh, uh, of, of a table. And I also started thinking about uh, a table in the, in the sense of picking a seat, right? And so one of my, uh, my anxieties I carry with me as a, as a, as a person is uh, I'm really nervous when I show up somewhere new and I don't know where I'm supposed to sit. Anybody else? Like um, some of you, you have anxieties about being in groups of lo- with, you know, lots of people in a room. Sorry about that. Uh, some of you, your anxieties, you know where the bathroom's at. And so, you know, I'm, I'm like that. I seem like I want to know where the bathroom's at. But I, 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 I have anxiety until I know where I'm sitting. If I go to a wedding, I immediately, before I go to the, do the wedding, I go find if I'm going to the, to the reception, I find the card and I want to know what table I'm sitting at and I want to know who I'm sitting with. Anybody else? Like I want to see if I'm actually going to stay for the reception. And so... I want to know what number it is. I want to know if it's buffet style. I want to know if I'm a high number. If I'm, you know, if I'm 14 and starting at one, like I might not get any food. I might, like, I want to know about that. When I was in middle school, I remember going to middle school from elementary school and they had signed seats in elementary school. You just sit where you're told, but you get to middle school and you get to pick. Remember that? That was anxiety. Like, where am I going to sit? The, 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 when I think about that in my life, uh, I go back to my first day of college. And so I went to Texas for college. I don't know why I went there, but I did. And so, um, and I didn't know anything about Texas. I didn't know anyone in Texas. I, don't, I didn't know, like, nothing. Like, I drove 24 hours. My parents dropped me off. We did the whole, you know, goodbyes. And they left. And I, I, I had no friends. I had no connections. I started trying to communicate with people. They speak a different language. Like, it was just this. This whole thing. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, the worst, most significant moment of my first day or my first few days of college was the, when the first time I had to walk in to the college cafeteria and try to figure out where I was going to sit. In fact, I think this moment in my life uh, was at one of those moments that was a, a kind of a pinnacle or a, an important moment in my life that had it not happened, I don't know that I would be where I'm at today because up to this point, I was kind of homesick. I was in Texas. I was calling my parents. I don't know anybody. These people are weird. You know, I remember I showed up. This dude had a, a sweater vest with nothing underneath. I'm like, these dudes are weird, right? Like, you don't wear that with le- tight Levi's on before skinny jeans were even a thing and cowboy boots. I was like, I don't know these people. I was, you know, I was sketchers at the time. And so like, I, and so I, I'm like, I don't know what to do. I'm homesick. And I walked into the cafeteria and I can, I can remember, I can remember this exact moment of my life. Um, this guy named Greg, and I'm not going to, I said his first name in the first service, but I'm not going to say his, his, or his last name because I don't want him to watch this by accident and hear what I said next. And so, and he pulled the seat out for me. His name was Greg and he pulled the seat out. And I think he saw me walking down and trying to figure out and the anxiety. And he said this to me, he said, Hey, uh, do you want to sit with me? And I, I'm a, I wish I could tell you we became lifelong friends. That was the only time I ever sat with him because I didn't really like him. <laughs> like we didn't hit it off, but I'm telling you that moment in my life when he invited me to stay there changed the, the trajectory of my life because if he didn't, the homesickness would have kept going. I possibly could have got into my car or on a plane and went home to Pennsylvania, never met my wife, never started Journey Church. My life could have been a lot different than it would if one person would have said, hey, you want to sit with me? There, there, there's a seat at, at my table. And what's interesting is that theme of table, 
Uh, God inviting you to his table, uh, God inviting you to his banquet hall, God having a seat for you runs all throughout scripture. It, it, it is almost like God is saying, I want you in my family. I have a seat at, at the table for you. And it never runs out of room. I continue. I don't know if you ever had one of those fancy tables in your house when the, when the, when the, the holiday came around. You had to put the leaf in it. You know what I'm talking about? The dumbest thing ever, right? Just get a bigger table. But God just keeps putting leaves in his table. He, he just keeps making more and more seats. Why? Because he wants you in his family. And so I, 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 we, we, I started thinking uh, and going through scripture. And actually, El, Elliot, uh, he, he has been asking for a few years. And so a few weeks ago, Pastor Taylor preached. And he said, every year he wants to sing, Mary, did you know? And every year I tell him no. And so I'm, I just keep going to tell him. I'm like, I'm just going to keep going to. And every year when we go into a planning meeting, he says, we want to sing, Mary, did you know? And Elliot says, can we talk about this Old Testament story during Christmas? To which I say, I say, no, that's a dumb idea. And this year he won. So if you don't like where I'm about to go with the, with the, with the, with the sermon, send Elliot an email complaint, Elliot at jrny.church, right? And so, but I love this example. I love this example in scripture. And I'm going to be honest with you, as I studied it, I don't know that there's a, not a better example uh, of the table uh, and the Christmas story uh, and, and, you know, kind of working out the details of what was to come hundreds of years later uh, than this story I'm about to share with you. It, it is a beautiful invitation to the king's table that is, is, a, is, a, is a mere reflection of what Jesus is going to do for his people. And so I want to take you into the story. It's in the Old Testament of 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter number 9. Here's what the Bible says. It says, David, David asked, this is how it starts. It's jumping right in verse number 1. David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? You ever read a sentence that has too many people in it? You can't keep up? We just have three pretty significant Bible characters in a 10-word or 11-word sentence. So if you've never been in church before, I don't want to just fly through this so you don't understand what's going on. Let me just explain to you those three people. You have three main characters, some of the names you've heard. Saul is the middle, middle name, Saul. He's the first king of Israel. God handpicked him. He was handsome. He was tall. He was kingly. Everybody looked at him and said, that's the king. That, that guy's awesome. Here's the problem with Saul is Saul didn't realize that God placed him in, in that position to represent him to his people, and the position went to his, his head. He stopped listening to God. He stopped obeying him. God would tell him to go right. He would go left. God would ask him to destroy. At one time, he said, hey, I want you to destroy everything in this country, every person, everything that breathes, get rid of it. Uh, if not, they're going to come back to bite you in the butt. If you read scripture, that's exactly what happened. And, and, and Saul doesn't do what God had asked him to do. So eventually, God says, okay, you can't be king anymore. You can't be king. So he goes to, he has sent Samuel to the house of a man named Jesse. He has a bunch of sons. You've, we just did the story a few weeks ago. One of his sons' name is David. Now, if you are not a church person, you have probably heard of the most famous part of David's story when he killed who with, his, with the slingshot. You guys know? Goliath, right? 
Goliath, right? Look, we know that story. We, 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 we get that. That's going to happen tomorrow in Dallas. Eagles won't go in. David killed Goliath, right? Like, we, we get it, right? Like, you, Goliath can be anything, right? And so, like, he kills Goliath. He chops off his head. He becomes famous. Like, he marries the king's, one of the king's daughters. He's anointed to, to be king. He doesn't even look like a king. Like, the God, it, one of my favorite parts of David's story is when God says, listen, man looks at the outside. God sees something different. I love that. We're all judging each other by how we look and our success. God looks at something different. He looks at your heart. He sees who you really are. So David gets anointed to be king. Um, he goes through some hell on earth. He goes through a lot of, a lot of suffering. So we, we confuse this sometimes. We think if God's going to use our life, it's going to be easy. And oftentimes we go through a season of pruning. We go through a season of difficulty. We go through a season of pain so that God can get us prepared to do something great through our lives. So David goes through all that. Saul begins to hate David because he knows David's going to be king, which means my dynasty that I had planned, my sons, 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 they're going to lose the, 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 the royalty that God has given us. And so Saul begins to hate David, want to kill David. Jonathan is one of Saul's sons. And here's the kicker. Jonathan and David are BFFs. They're really good friends. Like, they're as close of a friendship that you could probably have, right? Like, they, 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 they love each other, the Bible says. And uh, at one point in their life, as David is ascending to the throne and Saul is leaving, I think Jonathan knows kind of what's coming to life. And maybe he can see, you know, his life is coming to the end. And I don't know if he knew he was going to die at some point. And he asked David, he says, listen, when you become king, promise me you'll take care of my family. Promise me that my relatives will be okay. And here's why he said that, because it was common in that time for the new king to show up and wipe out the old king's family. This is just what we do. A new coach shows up. What does a new coach do? Wipes out the old coaching, the old coaches from the, from the old regime, right? That's what we do. New, new, new king, going to wipe out the, 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 king's, the king's family. And so David becomes king, and I think he maybe forgets what he promised Jonathan years past. We don't know that he ever even talked to Jonathan again. And uh, at one time in his life, he remembers, oh yeah, I'm supposed to take care of Jonathan's family. I I'm supposed to reach out and make sure they're taken care of. And this is how this story plays out. The Bible says uh, in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 9, there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? And Ziba the king answered the king, there's still a son of Jonathan. He's lame in both feet. There, there's one. He's lame in both feet. Where is he? Ziba answered, he's at the house of Makur, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Makur, son of Amiel. I have no idea if that's how you say any of that, but we're going with that, right? Now, now we're going to get introduced to another, to another name. And this name is, this is why I never wanted to preach on this, because I can't even pronounce this dude's name. But we're going to go with it. We're just going to make it up as we go, right? If I get tongue-tied, don't judge me. But the Bible says the name of Jonathan's son, it just it couldn't be George, something like that. It had to be Mephibosheth. I was going to shorten it up to meth, but I didn't think that would work for Christmas. <laughs> Mephibosheth. Son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David. He bowed down to pay him honor. Now, this is where the Bible has humor because they're about to put Mephibosheth. They can't just put he, right? They have to keep saying his name. It's going to make sense in a second, but it's kind of annoying right now. 
The Bible says, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied, don't be afraid. David said to him, for I surely will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I'll restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and will, you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dog like me? I'm not good enough for this, he says. Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson, see, of your master, you will always eat, where? At my table. He's always going to be at the king's table. Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. It's like, it's like the Bible's trying to tell us he's going he's to take care of this guy. The guy that he put in charge of taking care of Mephibosheth, he has a bunch of sons and a bunch of servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Now that's cool to me. David had a bunch of really famous sons. One of them was Solomon. He wrote a lot of the Proverbs. Could you imagine Mephibosheth rolling up and being like, yeah, I heard of you. What's up, Solomon? Absalom's there. Like all, all, these, all these men that he's heard about, like he's dining with the king and, and, and his sons as one of his family. So Mephibosheth ate at King David's table. Mephibosheth had a son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table and wants us to remind us that Mephibosheth is lame in both feet. Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. <laughs> Mephibosheth. Why Mephibosheth? Why did Elliot have this idea about Mephibosheth? What's significant about Mephibosheth? How does Mephibosheth fit into the Christmas story? Well, here's the thing. A lot of times when you read the Bible, if you're honest, you put yourself into the hero's position. So if I read David and Goliath, who am I? I'm David. I too would kill a, a giant. I too am slaying giants right now. I'm dominating this cold, right? I'm chopping off its head. I'm David. We position ourselves as if we're the, we're, 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 we're the heroes. But the truth is, in this story, you and me are Mephibosheth. You, you and me. And I'm, I'm going to show you how. Here's a couple, couple connections that you and me have to Mephibosheth in this story. First one is this, is in Mephibosheth's life, maybe you could relate to him because for him, life hasn't worked out how he thought it would. For Mephibosheth, life has not worked out how he thought it would. Some of you been there. This, this Christmas Eve is not how I thought it would be because I didn't think it would be six degrees outside. I thought it would be like 35 when we sing the weather outside, it's frightful. We didn't mean it. <laughs> I wanted it to be mild. I wanted to have some piano players and guitar players and stuff outside playing under some cool Christmas lights and some, some fun outside. Enjoy it. And we're going to die if we go out there. <laughs> and it didn't turn out exactly like I thought it was. And some, some of you, like I'm joking, but some, that divorce wasn't what you planned. Some of you, you grew up like in a, in a family and uh, you, you remember like the really good Christmas you had that one year when your family was still together? 
You can still remember the presents. You came down, your whole family was together. You came down, and it was like in the 80s when like, the really cool toys were around. And uh, you had the G.I. Joes, and, and you had the, uh, the He-Man, and you had the My Little Ponies there, and you, 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 you had the Care, the Care Bears, and then for that season where the Cabbage Patch Kids came uh, around, and then some of you were a little older when the Garbage Pail Kids came out, and like you remember, your family was together. You, you were together. You ate together. You could still smell the smells and all stuff. And then the next year, your dad was gone. You got a new family. Next Christmas was different. In fact, when you went to your dad's house, he got remarried and had more kids. You felt like an outsider. It didn't turn out exactly like you thought it was going to turn out. Some of you had some type of dreams that you had for your life and you, really big dreams. Like you started, it was, it, was, it was on the way up. You got yourself addicted to something through a hurt that you went through. And that addiction took years of your life. It took brain cells. Let's just be honest. Caused a lot of pain in your life, a lot of hurt. Some of you, you had this relationship that you gave everything to. You put so much pressure on it as if they could save you from yourself and they let you down. And life has not turned out like you thought it would. And you and me, we can relate to Mephibosheth because he would say, my life didn't turn out like I thought it was. I want you to understand. He was the grandson of a king. He had it going on. He had great houses. He had servants. He had a position. He was a big deal. He was on the front of Us Weekly, often. TMZ wrote stories about him. He had everything. He shopped at the fanciest stores. He had it going on. But his grandfather started doing things he wasn't supposed to do, and he began to lose the control of the kingdom that was gifted to him and given to him by God. At one point, that kingdom was, was under fire, and his family had to go on the run to escape death. And so everybody was getting get, gathered up from the palace, from, from safety, and having to run. Saul was running, and Jonathan was running, and Mephibosheth, he was healthy, and he was, he, he was good. And they went on the run, and we know this from Scripture. If we go back just a few chapters in 2 Samuel chapter 4. Here's what the Bible says. Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. Okay, we already know that because we just read 2 Samuel chapter 9. Here's what we don't know. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell, and in that moment, he became disabled. That kid's name was Mephibosheth. How awful of a nurse do you have to be? How far do you have to drop a kid when you're carrying them? To drop him as a five-year-old? I want you to think about this. When he was one, he started walking. When he was two, he started running. You know how two-year-olds run? When he was three, he started getting into everything. When he was four, he started playing soccer on a travel team. When he was five, he, he was taking horseback riding lessons. He was getting prepared to be a king. And in a day, his life changed forever. His nurse dropped him. And for the rest of his life, his legs were taken from him. It got bad for him. We know that. The Bible lets us know. We, we, sometimes you read the Bible, you miss the details. The Bible tells us in 2 Samuel chapter 9 that he's in the house. When David goes to get him, he's in the house of Makur, son of Amiel. I didn't do enough studying to know who these people were. And I also don't have time to, to, to dig into it. But I did do some studying of where he was at. Where he was at was low to bar. So I was like, what does that mean? Because a lot of times stuff's in scripture, but it's not in there by accident. You know what the word low to bar means? This is where he was living. No pasture, unimaginable, desolate, and barren. 
his life was in an awful place. What connects us to Mephibosheth for a lot of us? Life has not turned out like we thought it was. We're living our life with shame. We're living our life isolated. We're living our life in brokenness. We've been let down. In fact, I read this quote this week. It says, I've been let down so many times by life that I've learned to expect the worst so that I won't be let down anymore. Just come in here expecting the worst. Hasn't turned out the way I thought it was. And this is, this is where you start to see connections to the Christmas story. Because in the Christmas story, this is kind of the theme for a bunch of people in the Christmas story. I mean, Joseph... Uh, he's, he's trying to get married to Mary, and she comes to him one day and says, hey, I'm pregnant with God's baby. I mean, you want to talk about being let down in that moment? How's he going to explain that to his parents? Mary's pregnant, but she says it's God's. You want to talk about how difficult of a situation that was? There's other characters in Scripture, Zechariah and uh, Elizabeth, who were the relatives of Mary. And in the story, the angel comes to them and says, you're going to have a baby. But what the Bible tells us is they're going to have a baby, but they haven't been able to have a baby up to that point. And now they're old and they're past childbearing years. Disappointment. Life hasn't turned out like they thought it would. I wonder if you relate. Here's where it gets good. I love this next, these next three things that I started to notice in the story that are all connected to the gospel and the Christmas story. The second thing is this. The king shows up to Mephibosheth's house and wants to show, show kindness, watch this, just because he's kind. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a very cynical person. Some of you came to church tonight cynical. You're like, what's in this hot cocoa? What are they trying to do to me? When's the offering coming? I know you're going to play at some point. Collect the offering, right? Some of you left your wallet in the car. You're like, they can't make me go back out there. I'll die day after tomorrow, right? <laughs> you're cynical. Everybody's smiling. You're like, what are they, what are they smiling about? They're talking about this table. And you come in here cynical. You've been let down. You, you've tried to follow God. He's disappointed you. You, you, you. you tried faith one time. You did try to follow the rules, and stuff kind of didn't go well. And here you are, and you can relate to Mephibosheth. You're, you're in low debar. You're in a desolate, lonely, isolated place. And here's the cool thing. The king shows up, and all he wants to do is show kindness. I love it. Watch what the Bible says Mephibosheth reacts to. He says, Mephibosheth sees the servants coming and meets David, and he's what? He's afraid. He's afraid. Well, why is he afraid? Because uh, it's common in that time for the king to wipe out the families. So he just thinks this, this king has found me because now he wants to kill me. First of all, I can't walk. Second of all, I'm living in a desolate place. And now the king has showed up to my house and he wants to kill me or he wants to do something, you know, awful to me. And, and, he, and he's worried. And I just, I want you to see this. The king, David shows up to his house and he has no agenda. He just wants to be kind to this man. What's, what's interesting in the Christmas story a couple hundred years later, um, a king from Bethlehem shows up to a lame man's house to bring him to, to his house and says what? Don't be afraid. Hundreds of years later, the angels meet the, the shepherds on, on a hillside on a night like tonight, and they're terrified because they've been told you can't trust church people and God doesn't love you and God doesn't like you because you're disgusting and dirty and your occupation is worthless and the angels show up and the shepherds are kind of afraid and what do the angels tell the shepherds don't be afraid hey if you're struggling in life and uh 
you're worried about what everybody's thinking about you because you haven't measured up and you haven't got to where you thought you would and you haven't been as successful as you need to be and you're struggling with an addiction right now and, and, and you have a failed marriage on your resume. Some of you have three failed marriages on you. Let's be honest. You weren't the mom you were supposed to be, the dad you were supposed to be. You come into this place and you carry all sorts of shame. There's a king that wants to say, don't, don't, be, don't be afraid. In fact, in Scripture, in the, in the book of Romans, we're, we're told this. We're, said, we're told, don't, don't show contempt for the riches of God's kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead people to repentance. There's a king that shows up to show kindness just because. Let me just give you two more thoughts as we wrap this up. Number, number three is this. The king shows up. I love this. I, I started thinking, even though he was never invited to show up. The king shows up. Even though he was never, though he was never in, in invited. The, the Bible says that he goes and he brings him back from load to bar. It's not like Mephibosheth was going, I need to find David. I need to make things right. I, I need to see if I can get in his good graces. I need to see if he'll take care of me. He's in a desolate, barren, hopeless place. And the Bible says that King David shows up into his life without being invited. And here's why, why I love this is because this is the gospel. Jesus, he just said, I'm coming. Wasn't perfect timing. Let me just, let me just be honest with you. He came at uh, maybe one of the darkest moments in history. The Roman Empire was ruling the world. They were evil. Evil empire. He, uh, he comes when the king, King Herod, uh, is killing babies. Finds out Jesus is born and he's killing babies. Like it's just a bad, bad moment. And uh, Jesus shows up. And he comes at a dark time. He comes at an uninvited time. He comes at an imperfect time. He comes at a time where maybe it would have been easier for him to, you know, figure out a different time. Where there would be less pressure. He comes at that time. And I love it because it's the gospel. Here's the difference between Jesus and, and religion. Because some of you, you've experienced religion. Religion says that God doesn't show up in your, your life, that you show up in God's life, that you get to God. That, okay, you come to church and you say some prayers and you do a couple Hail Marys and you memorize a couple verses and you do a couple, you know, whatever people do in religion and, and, and you change the way you dress and you take those piercings out of those places and you stop getting so many tattoos, right? Just stop. And you, 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 you begin to sing the songs everybody else sings and you read the King James Version Bible I'm talking about. You get super religious. You wear all denim or whatever it is. And then if you do enough, then there's this perfect God. And if you do enough, then this, this perfect God might be impressed with you. And if he gets impressed with you enough, then when you die, maybe you'll go to heaven. You know, maybe not. We don't know. That's religion. You know what religion does? Religion does the same thing to, to, to humans that a relationship with a parent that you are never sure of their love does to a kid. It causes performance. It causes anxiety. It causes fear. It causes a work-based relationship. It causes a lack of joy. Uh, it, 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 it causes a child that obeys when he's being watched and when he leaves goes, I'm doing whatever I want. Separates. Gospel's different. Gospel says, uh, hey, when you're, while you're at your lowest, while you're still lame and low to bar, while you're still addicted, while you're still messing your marriage and your relationships and, and, and your shame, while you're a sinner, that Jesus Christ comes and he dies for you.
that, that while you're in your mess, that there's not a darkness that scares him, that he comes to you, that you don't get to him, that he comes and finds you. Some of you don't even realize this, how much he's been coming to you. Like some of you are like, hey, there's this new person working in my office. We just became best friends, right? Like I didn't even know them before. You didn't realize they were a Christian. And you don't understand that God sent that person to your office for such a time as this because he's trying to get you to understand he wants you in his family. Some of you just got invited. You were just, you were just minding your own business. You were a waiter or a waitress, and somebody from church came to your place and invited you, and you just showed up. You, you, you came for the hot cocoa, and you're stuck here now. We're almost done. But he wants you to be part of his family. He comes to you. That's the That's the gospel. Let me just show you one more thought. Let me just show you one more thought. Uh, number four. Here's the thing, fourth thing I see that, that points us to the Christmas story. The king gives him something he didn't deserve. The king gives him something he didn't deserve. What, what did he give him? He gave him a place at the table. The Bible says, I love it. It says, because he what? He didn't get invited for a family meal. He didn't get invited for a holiday. He, he, he didn't get invited for a month to see if it would work out. David didn't foster him into his family. He wasn't getting nothing for him, right? The Bible says that he gave him a seat at his table permanently. Hey, Solomon, move. That's Mephibosheth's seat. That's where Mephibi sits. <laughs> I'll go with that tomorrow. That's his seat. You see the special things for his life? Because you notice what the Bible says. The Bible says that he sat at his table, but he was still what? He was still lame. It's not like David was like, hey, you need to walk before you come here. He's still that. He still had that scar. He still had those struggles. You're not sitting around a bunch of perfect people. I don't know if you knew that or not. You're sitting around people who have been welcomed to the table of a perfect king. He set us a place. There's leaves in it. And here's all I want. I just want to keep adding leaves to the, is that how you say it? Leaves, leaves, whatever it is. I just, I just want to keep adding leaves and sections and chairs so that you understand. The table of God, it never runs out of seats. He wants you in his family. He wants to give you something you don't deserve. What, what, what am I talking about? Well, Jesus didn't just come to the earth as a baby. That's not what made him special. That was pretty significant. What made him special is 33 years later, the perfect king. He gave up his life for you and me on a cross, willingly. He said this, he says, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down. They put him on a Roman cross. Uh, they nailed, nailed his hands. They nailed through his ankles. They whipped him. Uh, they, they beat him so bad that it was hard to even understand and comprehend who Jesus was at that point. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They mocked him. They ridiculed him. His friends abandoned him. They took his lifeless body off that cross and they placed him in a tomb. And here's the thing. If that's all that he did, we're not still talking about him. Thousands of people were put on a cross. Thousands of people were beat. Thousands of people were mocked. Thousands of people were ridiculed. Thousands of people were put in a tomb. Thousands of people were anointed after they died on a cross, just like Jesus was going to be. But his disciples came on Sunday to anoint his body, and the tomb was empty. And when the tomb was empty, the message was not only did Jesus die, 
as an atoning sacrifice for your sins, that he forgives you as far as the east is from the west, that he forgives you. It just forgets it. Like he just chooses to give you grace and freedom and mercy, but because his cross is not, not only died on the cross, but his tomb is empty, the Bible is clear that also, also he defeated death and he defeated hell, and it's through him that he gives us eternal life. I don't deserve it. I just want, I'm not a good person. You want me to give you a list? I'm on the naughty list. I'm arrogant. I'm prideful. Uh, I cheat. If I play sports, I still cheat. I, I'll do anything to win. I like to give a good gossip from time to time. I've lied in my life. I've done every sin you can imagine. Jesus didn't save me because I'm good. He saved me because he's good. He gives me a seat at his table. And so uh, we have one more name card. It's blank. And uh, whatever you're struggling with on, on the red cards, this card's for you. This card's for you. This, this seat. It's been reserved for you. That's why the light's on it right there. I want you to visually see it. That's your seat. That's your position. That's your salvation. That, that's your forgiveness. This, is, this represents your grace. That Jesus wants you in his family. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you've done it with. Okay, how many mistakes you've made. If your heart is still beating, it's not too late for you. It's a good God got to change you. In fact, one of my favorite concepts of Scripture is that the Bible says that it's better to be one day with the Lord than it is to be a thousand elsewhere. And I just always think about that. I think about how fast that the Lord can come in and change somebody's life. In a moment. When he shows up, he can come in and he can soften the hardened heart. He can break the, the, the person who has so much baggage. He can forgive the person. He can set somebody free. Uh, some of you haven't been able to get over an addiction for years. A moment in God's presence can help you. Some of your marriage is falling apart. You're like, I don't know what to do. You invite Jesus into your marriage. You watch him begin to heal you. You watch him begin to give you forgiveness for each other. You get grace from him. Guess what the number one thing you need to stay married to somebody forever is? You know what it is? It's not love. What the heck is that? Love's a choice. It's grace on top of grace on top of grace. And you know why you give grace on top of grace on top of grace? Because you're an idiot and you need grace on top of grace. Can I just be truthful with you or is that too much? You need grace on top of grace on top of grace. And the only person who can give you that type of grace, who is it? It's Jesus. It's only Jesus. Jesus wants you in his family. Would you stand to your feet all over this place? And would you do me a favor? Uh, I, I, maybe you've never been in church before. This might, this might freak you out a little bit. I promise you, nothing weird is going to happen. I promise you that. It's not Disney World. We're not going to shoot water on your feet. I, I just all over this house, just for, just, just for a moment. I just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Just, just, just close your eyes. I'm not going to ask you anything super religious, super awkward. Are you Mephibosheth? When I say that name and we explain his story, has life not turned out the way you thought it would? Are you struggling right now? The Bible says this. The Bible says if you're weary and heavy laden, that Jesus can give you rest. For his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Some of you, uh, you've been disappointed in life because you've gotten everything that life could give you. 
and it's still empty. That's the sadness of this world we live in. Like this outside of a relationship with God, everything leaves us empty. But there's a king. He shows up tonight. He's here. The Bible promises that. We're two or more gathered in his name. And I want you to understand, we are here for Jesus. We're here to celebrate the gospel, salvation, forgiveness of sins, mercy, that God can give hope to the hopeless, that God can give peace to the peaceless, that God, God, can, God can do uh, more in somebody's life in a moment than, than, than they can do in a lifetime. And we're here for Jesus. I'm here to lift up his name. And the Bible says when you lift up the name of Jesus, that he'll begin to draw people to himself. In Revelation, it says that uh, Jesus said, he said, I stand at the door and I knock. I knock. You can feel it. He's knocking. I stand at the door and knock. If you let me in, he says, I'll eat with you and you'll eat with me. If you let me in, which is interesting because what he's saying is, I have a gift for you. I have a gift of forgiveness. I have a gift of mercy. I have a gift of restoration. I have the gift of the promise of eternity. I have the gift I want to give you. But here's the thing about a gift. You have to receive it. You have to take it. Nobody can do it for you. So I want you to pretend nobody else is here. Just you and God. Some of you, just honestly, you're like, I didn't even believe in God before I got here. I didn't know what to think. But I believe he's here right now. And I believe that you would just say, hey, God, I'm here. I, I, don't, I don't know everything about you. I don't even know how to talk to you. But God, I, I, know, I know you're moving in my life right now. I know, I know you're doing something right now. And you would just begin to say, God, God I'm, I'm here. I'm open to you right now. And as you're there, the spirit of the living God will begin to, to speak to you. And here's what the Bible says. Um, that everybody has the chance to make a decision to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. Everybody. And you're going to hear the message and you get the opportunity to respond to it. And here's how you respond. The Bible says you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart. It's beautiful. It's simple. You confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart. What are you confessing to? I need a Savior. My life is not what I thought it would be. I carry a lot of weight, a lot of shame, a lot of sin. And if the message is Jesus came to forgive the sinner, I need that. So I confess with my mouth, and then you believe. You put your faith in Jesus. So you're like, I don't know what faith is. Listen, you put your faith in something. You put your faith in the economy. You put your faith in your job. You put your faith in your spouse. You, you, you put your faith in your success. You put your faith in your, in, in your possessions. And the truth is, they've let you down. There's only one person who can carry the weight of your faith, and that's Jesus Christ. I'm going to put my faith in Jesus Christ. I can't do life on my own anymore. He's here, and he wants to give me something that I don't deserve, and I realize that. And so I'm going to receive him by faith through the grace of God. So here's what I want you to do all over this place. As you had your heads bowed and your eyes down, and maybe you've been to church for years, maybe you've never been to church before, but you're not worried about the person to your right or left. Listen, they got their own stuff. They got their own stuff. We are not a church of perfect people. We are far from it. We're a church of broken people that have been put together by a good God. We're a work in progress. We haven't achieved or gotten anywhere. We are still a work in progress. The Lord is still doing the work in our lives. But the first step 
is salvation. It's the gift of, of Christ, the gift of Jesus. If you're here today, you don't know him. I want to pray with you as we close. I want you to do something for me, though. It's going to take a little bit of guts, a little bit of courage. I want you to get outside of your Pennsylvania, if you're from Pennsylvania. I want you to step outside of your comfort zone. I, just, I want you to do something for me. If, I, if I'm speaking to you right now, front to back, you don't know Jesus Christ, but you need to. You need to ask him to be your Lord and your Savior. You need to commit your life to him. You need him. To, you know that. Like, I need Jesus today. I can feel him working in my life all over this place. If that's you, would you just begin uh, with a little bit of courage, stepping outside your comfort zone, nobody looking around. Would you just put your hands straight towards heaven and say, hey, that's me. I know it's Christmas Eve, Eve. I know it's kind of a weird night. But if you need to know Christ, would you just put your hand up all over this place? There's, there's hands going up all over. There's just hands everywhere. Hand, hand, another hand. I see your hands in the back. Just, just keep your hand held high. Everybody else, keep your eyes closed. Stop being nosy. Christians are so nosy. Just keep your head bowed, your eyes closed. Deal with yourself. Here's what I want you to do. We're going to pray together. And I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. I just want you to repeat after me. Real simple prayer. Say, Jesus, thank you for this night. Thank you for being here. Jesus, tonight, I know that I need you. I need you to forgive me. I need you to heal me. And I need you to make me whole. And I believe that that happens through your cross, your burial, and your resurrection. Jesus, the Bible says that tonight I'm a brand new person. I'm a part of your family. I've been adopted. I've been redeemed. I've been set free. In Jesus' name we pray. All over this house. Let's shout amen together. Come on, let's clap together. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.